Well, good morning, Orchard Hills. Uh, welcome. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you this morning, and a special welcome to our folks online, wherever you are. We're glad you're here. Uh, I'm Mark Hinkle. I'm an English teacher at William Byrd High School, and I'm honored to have been asked to be here in Scott's absence. He and Sutton planned badly, and they're both absent at the same time. Uh, actually, they're in Africa. They're in Rwanda together. Um, Scott is going to be canonized while they're there. He's going to become a canon. I've asked around. Nobody's sure what that means. <laughs> but it's an honor. So when you see him in a couple of weeks, be sure to pat him on the back. Uh, try not to let it go to his head. And Sutton is going to be ordained while he's there uh, this week and have the calling that we've all known he has uh, ordained, affirmed, confirmed this week. So be sure to, to salute him when you see him in a couple of weeks as well. Um, well, this week is uh, today, I guess, is the second Sunday in the Advent season. So last week, we lit the candle of um, hope and expectation. Scott delivered a great sermon that hit on two very distinct points. One, that we can put our hope in the saving power of, of Jesus Christ, whose birth we're celebrating in this season, um, in his power, in his grace, in his sacrifice. And second, that we can expect a greater reward. That Christ's second coming is still ahead of us, and it's a thing in which um, we, should, we should joyfully expect and be excited about. And it allows us to live a life free of fear and free of worry, even in a world that still has pain and suffering. And I love that Scott hit on both of these points so clearly because I feel like often in the Christmas season we celebrate the birth of baby Jesus. We even celebrate what his life was about and his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection. But we don't celebrate what he's doing in our lives today or his promises for the future. And I see this in a lot of other ceremonies, too. I told you I'm an English teacher. I've been to a lot of graduation ceremonies. And one thing I've noticed year after year after year at graduation ceremonies is that there is very, very little commencing and a whole lot of commiserating. <laughs> we tend to focus on the past entirely. Um, the people that we're going to miss, the events that we're never going to get to go to again, the terrible cafeteria food, the awful teachers, man, I'll miss it. Or we focus on the event itself. This is it. We're finally here. We finally made it. As though this graduation ceremony were what it was all about. We do this with Birthdays, we celebrate the individual, we mourn the passing of time, but what about what's next? 
Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's important to celebrate those things. I think it's important to celebrate the individual that God has created. I think it's important to celebrate the accomplishments that God has worked through the individual. But what about what's next? It's important that we learn to live lives that are full of hope and expectation. And so in the Advent season, here in the Christmas season, we need to celebrate what God is doing right now and what he has promised. If we've placed our hope in Christ and have an expectation of his return, well, then it should affect the way we live. And if it's going to affect the way we live, we need, to, we need to look at that, we need to examine that, we need to consider that. And so today we lit the candle of faith and preparation. And as we lit the candle today, we were reminded of the story of Joseph. Joseph was not a complicated man. He simply wanted to marry this young woman from his community, start a family, and begin the process of, of um, adulthood and becoming this new part of his community uh, as tradition dictates. But God had an extremely different plan for Joseph. Let's take a look again at Matthew 1, verses 20 through 23. We just heard them as we lit the candle. But let's consider what's happening to Joseph here. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Lord told him to go ahead and marry a woman who was pregnant with a child that wasn't his, to raise the child as his own, who, by the way, was the Messiah, the very Savior of all people, and the angel didn't deliver this message, but very soon after, Joseph was going to discover that he was going to have to take this woman in her ninth month of pregnancy on a long journey to a town that neither of them were familiar with, which was going to be crowded and unwelcoming, and that this is where the baby would be born, and that within a few months after that, they were going to have to flee for their lives to Egypt and set up housekeeping in a foreign country. This was not Joseph's plan. The way Joseph responds to this intrusion in his life, it reveals the heart of a man who wants to live a life of faith and is prepared to respond to God's calling. So how can we be like Joseph? How can we prepare ourselves to be men and women of faith when we're called? And this morning, I want to take a look at two verses in Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm chapter 37, verses 3 and 4. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and make a confession to you all. This week was my son's 13th birthday, my youngest son's 13th birthday. My wife and I now live in the house with three teenagers. So far, it's been a joy and a pleasure. Um, for all three of them, on their 13th, we picked a verse. We wrote them a, a series of letters. 
Uh, we, we held kind of a big special birthday ceremony. We had guys from the, the life group from the church here come and be a part of it and tried to share wisdom with them. And this is my confession. The verse we picked, the verses we picked this, this week are the verses that I'm going to speak on today. So it made writing the sermon relatively easy. But I want us to take a look at, at verses 3 and 4 in Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This was the first thing that I told my son in his letters. I love that God is a God of promises. Look again at the beginning of of verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. This isn't a command, it's a promise. God says, if you put your trust in him, doing good will be the result. He's promising to do good through us, to accomplish his good and perfect will, if we'll just put our trust in him. Now, being good, doing good, isn't something that we could do under our own power anyway. Believe me, I know, I've met most of you. (laughs) Now, if I was an ordained pastor like Sutton, I would have approached that with a lot more humility, I apologize. Believe me, I know, because I've tried, and it always results in failure. And I tell you, if I can't do it, there's no hope for any of you. (laughs) Being good isn't something that we could do on our own anyway. It takes an act of God. First, we have to place our hope in him, recognize that he is our Lord and Savior, and then we need to trust him. When we feel him nudging us to do the things that are outside of our comfort zone, like Joseph. And we need to do those things, and when we do, he'll do his good work through us. And God has designed each of us uniquely for the work that he wants to do. God is going to call us, each of us, to step out of our comfort zones. It's going to feel like a risk. Sometimes it's going to feel embarrassing, maybe even dangerous. But it's also going to be good. We need to be like Joseph. We need to trust God to keep his promises. This is what it means to live a life of faith. And this is what will prepare us for an eternity with him. The second half of this verse is very similar to the first. It's another promise. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. If we dwell in the land that God has provided us, we will enjoy safe pasture. King David wrote Psalm 37 as a very old man. And when he did, I suspect that perhaps he was thinking about his home, his kingdom, the land of Israel, a physical place. And I suspect that because I happen to know, and so do you all, that we find peace and safety and security in the places we're familiar with. 
in our hometown, in our neighborhood, in our homes, in our church, in the office or the school where we spend our days, we feel safe and secure there simply out of a sense of familiarity. But here's an interesting point. If you read through the Old Testament, here's an interesting point about the land of Israel. Whether or not they dwelled in that land wasn't entirely up to them. You'll see it over and over and over and over again. When the Israelites sought a sincere relationship with their Lord, they enjoyed a safe pasture. And when they didn't, when they tried to accomplish whatever under their own power or when they turned to other gods, it always ended in division and defeat and exile over and over and over and over again. In other words, that sense of safety, that sense of security, doesn't necessarily come from familiarity with the place, but familiarity with the person. So I'll share with you a story that, that I'm sure the vast majority of you can relate to. This isn't a unique one. I was four or five years old. I was at the grocery store with my mother. This was an experience I was all too familiar with. And I saw the thing that I wanted. I don't know what it was. And I picked it up off of the shelf, and I was checking it out, and I was certain my mother wouldn't want me to have it. I, I tell you, I have no idea what form of sugar this was, but I was ready, and I turned around, and I asked my mother if I could have this, and she was gone. She'd already moved on down the aisle and to the next one. I'm a pretty smart kid. I don't scare easy, but I ran. I hustled down the aisle and around the end cap and into the next aisle, and there she was. And so I was already asking, holding the thing up in the air, Mom, can I have that? I grabbed her by the arm, and of course you know how this ends. That wasn't my mother. And this weird woman looks down at me and says something that I'm sure was meant to be kind and sweet, but sounded like a, an alien that wanted to eat my brains, and I ran. And I found my mother, and everything was okay, but I learned two things in this moment. One was, I was not safe and secure in this grocery store because I'd been here so many times before and had it figured out. That wasn't the case. I was safe and secure in this grocery store because of who I was with. It was somebody that I trusted completely. And so if we put our trust in God, see, it doesn't matter where we are, or where he's called us to be, we'll still enjoy the safety and the security that only he can provide. The second thing I learned, which surprised me, was that if I could mistake another woman for my mother, I didn't yet know my mother as well as I ought to. Similarly, we need to be diligent in getting to know Christ. It isn't a thing that happens in that moment when you give your life over to him. It isn't a done deal. Your salvation is, but your relationship is an ongoing thing to pursue. We need to study God's word, and we need to pursue our prayer lives so that we don't ever become fooled by the idols and the false doctrines that are around us. Now, in the case of Joseph, we don't have any idea how much time he spent studying God's word. There's 
remarkably little written about Joseph in the scriptures. What we do know is that when God called on him, he didn't wonder, what the heck was that? He was familiar enough with the scripture to recognize the word of God. And he was familiar enough with God to know that he could trust him when he was called out of his comfort zone. So it doesn't matter where in the world we are, we can always have safety and security in the arms of God. We can step out of our comfort zones when he calls us to serve in our community right here in Roanoke, to serve in the DR, to serve in Rwanda, or even in the farther reaches of the world. We dwell in the land by maintaining, by nurturing our relationship with him. And then finally, verse 4 is yet another promise. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now again, when I was a child, I had this terrible, terrible fear that if I gave myself fully over to God, he was going to make me do terrible and awful, horrible things. He was going to call me to a land where maybe I didn't know the language and where I definitely wouldn't like the food, and that was really important to me. It still is. I wouldn't know how to communicate. I wouldn't have anything to eat. The work he would call me to do would probably be something boring and miserable like what my father did. I don't know. And it would just, it would just be awful. And I'd hate being there the whole time and I'd have to do it because I was serving God. And I'll tell you what. I held on to this concern for an embarrassing number of years. I remember well as a young man discovering this verse and taking a lot of relief in it. And it has become a prayer for myself ever since and for my family, my wife and my sons and, and their wives that we haven't met yet and their sons and daughters that don't exist yet. See, this verse doesn't suggest that God is going to give you everything you want. What it suggests is he's going to guide your desires to match his. The desires that you have in your heart are going to be the desires that he put there. And I love that. That means there is no failure. If God plants a desire in you to do some scary thing, to go to that foreign country, to change jobs, to move your family across the country, to go back to school, scarier yet, to never go to college at all, if this is what God calls you to do, and it doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out, that's okay. He wanted you there, and he knew how it would end up, and it's part of his plan, and he's working in you through what may seem like failure, and he's working through those that you influence, and he's going to continue to nurture his desires in your heart, and most importantly, he's going to use them to accomplish his good and perfect will in you and in those in your life. He's doing a new thing in you, and he's preparing you for eternity. 
So Joseph, he could have run from God. Or, much like I imagined when I was a kid, he could have married Mary and then fussed and complained and grumbled about it every day for the rest of his life. Instead, what we see is a man who's ambitious in his pursuit of God's calling and who is content in the midst of struggle. God couldn't have asked him to do anything much much harder, much more challenging than he did. And yet what we see is a man who desires to please God because God nurtured that desire in him. We need to be willing to trust God and step out of our comfort zones. We need to be willing to study God's word, pursue our relationship with him, get to know him so well we won't be fooled by the things that might look like him in our eyes. And then finally, we need to strive after the desires that God has given us. Now, one of the things I asked my son to do this week was to make a list of the desires that he has in his heart for this afternoon and for his, his year as we celebrate his birthday and for adulthood, for his future. I said, make this list and then I want you to pray over this. And I got to thinking about it during the sermon uh, as I was preparing the sermon this week. You know, Scott made it really simple last week. We can place our hope in, in Christ. We can turn to him and we can say, God, do a new thing in me. And it isn't much more complicated than that. And similarly, I see this the same way I said to my son, I want you to just look at that list and I want you to pray this, this very simple prayer and it's something that all of us can turn and do. Lord, I pray that my desires match yours. And if they don't, I pray that you gently remove them and replace them with the greater passions that you've actually designed me for. Simple as that. And as God puts those desires in your heart, trust them. Step out of your comfort zone and trust God to do good. So in this season of, of celebration, in this, this Christmas season, be sure to be forward-thinking. As we celebrate what God has done through, uh, for us through Jesus Christ, recognize what he's doing in the present and his promises. A life of faith will be rewarded and a life of faith will prepare you for that reward, an eternal life with him. So trust him, step out of your comfort zone when he calls, pursue him, study his word, pray without ceasing and expect a sense of peace and security in return. It's not proud or selfish to expect what God has promised you. Recognize that his plan for your life is far greater than anything you could have thought up and continue to ask him to give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, I thank you for this season. I thank you for all the, the, the lights and the garland and just the, the traditions and the good feelings and and Lord, I thank you for the truth behind it. 
Lord, what you have, what you have offered to us, it's remarkable, it's miraculous, it's beyond expectation. And Lord, what you have promised us, Again, it seems too good to be true. It seems selfish to expect, but Lord, you have called us to it. I just pray during this season, and I pray as we look ahead into the next year and the future of, of this church, of these families, of this community, Lord, I pray that you would give us the desires of your heart, that we might strive confidently after those goals and ambitions that you have inspired. Lord, I pray for your good and perfect will to be accomplished through this growing body. Lord, I thank you for your love, for your grace, for your sacrifice, for your promise. Amen.